Good morning. So glad you could be here today. We're starting a new sermon series this first Sunday in Lent. We're beginning a series of really based on Peter's life. Andrew, Peter's brother, was mentioned 12 times. Thomas the doubter mentioned 10 times. The rest of them three or four times. But Peter in the Gospels is mentioned over 120 times. He's an important figure in the Gospels, a leading, really supporting uh, person to Jesus through the, through the story of Christ. So we're going to focus in on Peter's view of this march to Golgotha. And it's interesting, the, the Gospel writers don't gloss over Peter's uh, uh, mistakes or errors or shortcomings. In fact, they, they use them in many ways to point people to Christ. And now here Jesus is saying that Peter is, is the rock, Simon is the rock, Again, you're, we're, we're going to go through this series, and we're going to see Peter, and you, but you already know the s- stories. Peter's going to take his eyes off Jesus and sink like a rock in the, in the Sea of Galilee. That's next week's sermon. And Peter's going to say a lot of stupid things. And Peter, uh, Peter, Peter's going to deny Jesus. If he was so strong like Dwayne Johnson, why would he deny Jesus to the servant girl? He could have squished her like a bug. But Peter the rock, maybe a more, more fitting nickname, Peter the... the the wet noodle, I don't know, blade of grass that blows in, Simon the flip-flopper, you know, he, he's going to say, Jesus, I'll never deny you, I'm, I'll be with you till the, till the end, till the death, and then a few hours later, denying Jesus to that servant girl, Peter the flip-flopper, but that's not what he said, he said, Peter the rock, strong, steady rock, I think what's happening here is Jesus saw past Simon's unsteadiness, his easily unnerved, his quick temper, his flip-flopping, his compulsiveness, and saw the rock. Simon, you're going to be the rock on which I'm going to build the church. Simon, you're the, the rock that will become Peter. Simon, you're the rock. You are the rock. Here's the big deal in all this. If Jesus were to give you a nickname, I don't don't think he'd give me slightly portly. I don't think that's the way Jesus would work. If Jesus were to give you a nickname, what would he give you? See, I think Jesus is looking past what what Peter was right then. He looks past who we are today. He looks looks not at at, at what others say about us. And he he doesn't look at what we've been. No, I I think Jesus is giving the nickname on what he could become. Peter, you're the rock. You're on whom I'm going to build this church. What would he call you? You're, 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 the, you're the courageous one. <laughs> Jesus, I don't feel very courageous. You're the bold witness. Jesus, I'm kind of timid. You're the, you're the mighty servant. You're, the, you're Mr. Justice. You're Miss Peace. You're kindness. Oh, we could all be more kind. What would Jesus give you? What would be your nickname? I know what I'd want for him for me. All I want you is to say, my nickname, what I hope my nickname is, is Rob, you are faithful. Remember, the end, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what I wanted to say. Call me, call me faithful. Jesus looked past shaky Simon and said, you are the rock, Peter. Okay, we still haven't gotten to Luke 5. We've got to get to Luke 5. Here we go, Luke 5, verse 1, second encounter Peter has with Jesus. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is, that's the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever been to the Holy Land? You know the Sea of Galilee, it's not like the Caribbean Sea, not like the Mediterranean Sea. It's just a big rock, or a big lake. In fact, 
It's not even that big of a lake. Um, the Great Lakes are all bigger than the Sea of Galilee. Uh, uh, lake St. Clair is about three times the size of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the Great Salt Lake is bigger. Lake of the Ozarks bigger. It's more about the size of, if you've ever been to Missouri, uh, like uh, Table Rock Lake or in Minnesota, Vermilion Lake. Those are about the same size. 13 miles long, 33 miles of shoreline, 64 square miles. That's, that's the Sea of Galilee. It's not a big lake. If you've been to the Holy Land, Ron's been to the Holy Land, you've, you've been to the Holy Land, you look at them, the first time I was at there, I thought, it was in the big sea. It's kind of small. But I'll tell you this, if you ever get to go, you should go to the Holy Land, by the way, because it's awesome. And, and my, one of my favorite things when I was there was being on the Sea of Galilee. Because you know, you know, Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And you take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, you think, it's very easy to imagine, what well, Jesus was here. If there was a storm going on, would I want to jump out of the boat and walk to Jesus like Peter? I, I, Jesus was here. I love the Sea of Galilee. That's not a, it's not a huge, it's just, it's just a lake. And Jesus is standing on the side. Okay, we've got to pick up the story. Got to get there. Still not at the passage yet. People were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Fishermen had to wash their nets every single day. Because if they didn't wash their nets, they'd rot out, they'd wear out, they needed to wash them down and mend them if there were some, some things in it. Usually, they did that in the morning because they fished all night. Why would they fish at night? They'd take a lantern, they thought the fish were attracted by the lantern, usually there'd be two boats, the net would be in between both boats, they'd be rowing those boats, no motors of course, they'd be rowing those boats to get out to where the fish were, and they would be, be working in tandem to catch these fish. Then in the morning, they'd come in, and they'd... they'd sell their fish and they'd wash off their nets and then they'd go home and go to sleep. That's the, the life of a fisherman. So Jesus, Jesus saw these guys washing out their nets, verse three, and he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down, taught the people from the boat. Why did Jesus get in Simon's boat? Of all the boats around there, why was it Simon's boat? Well, he already met him, right? He already gave him Dwayne Johnson's nickname, you're the rock. Maybe that's the simple answer. He just already, he already knew Simon. He already met Simon, so he hopped in his boat. And he probably knew that he could teach more effectively, right, if, if he were in the boat, off the shore. And you know how it is. If you go out, you know, uh, uh, 20 yards, 30 yards, whatever, the water is kind of like a sounding board, so people not only could see Jesus better, but they could hear Jesus better if he was in the boat. So maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe all of that is the reason why Jesus got in Simon's boat. But here's what I think happened. In the last few weeks of our last sermon series, Red, Yellow, Red and Yellow, Black and White, we talked about divine appointments. You know, Simon of Cyrene was, was in the right place at the right time when Jesus was walking by and, 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 and Simon of Cyrene picked up the cross and followed Jesus all the way up to Golgotha. Right? The right place, right time to make a difference. And then, and then last week we talked about the Ethiopian eunuch who was on that desert road heading from Jerusalem to Gaza, and, and Philip had the word from the angel that said, get on the desert road, high noon, worst time. No one should be on that road at that time. But he was there, why? And they intersected, right? Divine appointment, right place, right time to make a difference. Here, same thing is happening. Peter, right place, right time. Jesus has a divine appointment with him. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Ah, here's the real reason why Simon's boat. That exact moment, that exact time. We, know, we don't know who was listening on shore, right? There's a crowd. 
who was in the crowd, we don't know. But we know this. Peter was listening. He's in Peter's boat. Even though Peter had been fishing all night long, even though he rather had gone home to go to bed, you know, it's not like he could fall asleep while Jesus is preaching right there. Everyone's looking at him. So he has to pay attention. Peter had fished all night long. We're going to hear in the next verse, he didn't catch anything all night long. Terrible night. But he had already washed out his nets. He probably wanted to go home to go to sleep. And Jesus is preaching. And so, you know, he's having to listen. Divine appointment. Jesus works this way. If you haven't figured this out, let me just tell you, Jesus works this way. I think sometimes I preach, I, you know, we preach, we'll have uh, uh, several hundred people here today, and I don't know who this sermon is for, and sometimes I think it's for just one person maybe, because that's the way Jesus works. Remember, one lost sheep. Go after 99, leave the 99, look for the one. Today might be your day. Quit working on your, on your grocery list. Today might be your day. Jesus might be speaking to you. This may be that moment, that time. There's a huge crowd, but who did Jesus want to hear the sermon? I think it was for Peter. I think the whole thing was for Peter. And so he says, Peter, let's go fishing. And, and Peter responds in verse five and says, Master, we've worked hard all night. I haven't caught anything. Jesus, I really just want to go home. I want to go to bed. It's been a long night. My wife's going to say, how'd the fishing go? I'm going to have to tell her terrible. No money for today. I'm worn out. Listen, Jesus, here's the deal. Since we didn't catch anything last night, why don't you come back tonight? Of course, we've got to go fishing tonight again because we didn't catch anything last night and we've got to survive. So if you come back, meet me here at six o'clock. Let me go home, catch a nap. Meet me here at six o'clock and we'll go out. We'll catch some fish. That's probably what we would have said. That's not what Peter said. He said, because you say so. I'll let down my nets. And the lesson again, this is, how, this is how Jesus works. He's gonna ask to borrow your stuff. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you have, but Jesus is, he's like the kid in school that never has a pencil. He's like the, 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 the neighbor that never has the right tool and you've got all the tools. He's gonna ask to borrow your stuff. You just need to know this up front. You follow Jesus. He's gonna ask to borrow your stuff. It might be your car. My dad loved, loved his cars. Growing up, my, we had, he got a new car every two or three years. This is before leases. This is when you bought a car, you know, every two or three years. And that's what he did. My dad was a Ford guy, so we always had a Grand Marquis, like the one I think they've got, 1969 Grand Marquis. Do you remember those big old boats? That's what, we, that's what my dad drove. He bought them year after year, time after time, Grand Marquis. What... Jesus, Jesus wanted to use my dad's car. My, da my dad kept his cars spick and span. You know, you, 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 there was never any dirt in my dad's car. His cars were always clean, perfectly clean. But Jesus wanted to borrow my dad's car. And so what would happen is, on Sunday mornings, we would go to what we called then the projects, the place where there was poor kids, and they didn't have, have, you know, it was a poor neighborhood. And he'd drive that big old boat into the projects and we'd pick up kids. You can stuff a lot of kids in one of those cars. It's not like this, but it's close. You can stuff a lot of kids. And you know, you didn't worry about seat belts then. You didn't worry about 
you know, booster seats. Are you kidding me? We just stuff them all in. And these kids would come. They'd been out playing. They had mud all over them. They had sticky fingers. They'd been eating candy bar. They, you know, they were a mess. And they'd sit in my dad's car. And we'd take them to church. And you know what? You know, we did that for years because he always had a Mercury Marquis and we always... I don't ever, I don't ever remember my dad complaining about those snotty-nosed kids. What would happen is we'd take them to church, we'd take them home in the big old boat, and Sunday night or sometimes Monday morning, my dad would get out and he'd wipe down the seats and he'd get out his vacuum and he'd vacuum the rug and he'd get it ready for the next Sunday when he would go and pick up those kids. Why? Because Jesus borrowed his car. Now, Jesus might borrow something from you. He might, you know, we got folks that go to Dillon or, or to Carriagetown or to Eastside Mission or whatever. Jesus might borrow your time. He might say to you, hey, you got a few extra hours. I could sure use them. I could, I could, I could use those, those, that time that you've got. Or he might, we talked about it a little bit last week, he might borrow your money. Jesus might say, listen, I, can I borrow some of your money? I'm good for it. Listen, I have never once, uh, I have never once been sad about the money I've given to Jesus. Not even once. See, Jesus, he might, he's going to want to borrow your stuff. That's just the way he works. And he looked at Peter and says, listen, can, 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 we, borrow, can we borrow your boat? Verse 6, this is what happens next. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish of their nets, that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled up both boats so full they began to sink. That's a lot of fish. I'm not a fisherman, but that's a lot of fish. And you and I, that's how Jesus works. This is exactly how Jesus works. It should not be shocking news that, that they caught so many fish that both boats were about to sink. Even though they caught nothing the night before, even though they, it was the wrong time to go fishing, even though they had already cleaned up their nets and they're ready to go home and go to sleep, even though all that was going on, this should not be shocking news because this is exactly how Jesus works. We let him borrow our stuff. We let him borrow our time, our, 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 our money. We don't give excuses. We say like Peter says, okay, Lord, because you say so, I'll do it. And then guess what? God blesses. Now, I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. I'm not saying that, you know, go out and you're going to hit the lottery. Don't play the lottery. I'm just saying that God blesses. I've got so many stories that I could share about how God blesses. I'll share this one. Since we're going on a mission trip, hopefully, we're, hopefully I'm going, I still don't have my passport. I called the passport people yesterday. I said, where's my passport? She said, well, we see that you received it. On, we received it on February 10th, your request. I said, exactly. I'm supposed to have it in two weeks. That was, you know, more than two weeks ago. Blah, 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 blah. Well, you should have it by Thursday. Ah! When, in my last church, we were going to do a mission trip to Jordan. It was going to be a great trip. We were going to um, spend a week working in Jordan, Zarka, Jordan. And then the next week, because we were already in the Middle East, the next week, we were going to do a tour of the Holy Land. And it was going to be a great trip. In fact, it was extra special because the best man in my wedding, Rod Green, was missionary in the Middle East for like 20 years. And he was going to be the working witness coordinator in Jordan, kind of like Ellie, if you've been to to Panama. He's going to be the work and witness coordinator in Jordan. And then he was going to be kind of our tour guide when we were in the Holy Land. It's a great trip. And Carla said to me, you know, Rob, this would be a great trip for our whole family to go on. You know, we'll get to spend time with Rod. It'll be a great time for our whole family. And let me just encourage you. 
mission trips are a great thing for your whole family to go on. They really are. You share those memories, and you work together, and you pray together, and you are together. It's a great time. I love it when families can go on mission trips together. So Carla said that to me. She said, Rob, how about let's just all go on this trip together. It'll be a great time for our family. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. Here's the problem. It was an expensive trip. It was $3,000 to go. And the church paid for me to go, but they didn't pay for Carla. They didn't pay for our boys. I'm not great in math, but I know that three times 3,000 is 9,000. We didn't have $9,000 just lying around the house. Carla, Carla is, I'm not gonna say she's cheap. She's not in the service. I could say it, but I'm not gonna say this. She's just aware of our finances. Can I say it that way? She is very much keenly aware of our finances. But she said, she said, Rob, I think our whole family should go. And so on the last day, the last possible day that we could, you know, sign up and say who all's going, they had to buy the airline tickets. I said, the princes are going. We're all going to the Holy Land. We're all going, we're all going. Well, a couple days after that, Carla, who's very much aware of our finances, she came to me and she said, Rob, do you know that it's going to cost us $9,000 to go on the mission? I said, yeah, I, I do know that. Three times 3,000 equals 9,000. She goes, we don't have $9,000. I said, I know. <laughs> Carla at the time worked for a guy who sold insurance. Very, very rarely did Carla ever sell anything. She was able to sell, but she just did mostly the office work. After we said we were going to go, $9,000. This never happened before. Carla sold a policy, and her uh, uh, commission, $6,000, 200 she could send the boys and buy a pair of boots and so the boots were on the icing on the cake and God took care of us we we got to we were able to go that's I'm, I'm not saying hear me hear me hear me I'm saying when we say to Jesus he said, when he said to him hey I want to borrow your boat and we say okay I really don't really want to I'm kind of reluctant but okay you can borrow my boat and Jesus blesses he just does. When we're obedient, he blesses. That's just the way Jesus works. We, he wants to borrow our stuff, our time, our treasure, our, our talents, whatever it is. And we say, yes, you can have it. He blesses. We're still not to the passage I want. Luke, Luke 5, verse 8. We're working to verse 9. We're not there yet. When Simon Peter saw this, the, the, you know, the boat full of fish, two boats full of fish, he fell at his knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. It kind of reminds me of what Isaiah, remember when Isaiah had that experience and he had a vision of God's glory in Isaiah 6. And, and, and he says, says, woe to me, for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You remember that passage? That's what's going on here. I think Peter and Isaiah, they had what we would call a fear of the Lord at that moment. We don't talk a lot about the fear of the Lord these days. Maybe we should. We talk a lot about the love of God, but there's a healthy fear of the Lord that we need to experience. A deep, deep reverence for God Almighty. A, a profound sense of awe. Maybe a recognition of our unworthiness. That's what the season of Lent really is about. It's recognizing the that we are man and he is God and he came to earth to die for us and we have a profound sense of unworthiness in that relationship, but God still loves us. So, so God Almighty, he's not just you know, the big guy in the sky, he's not just the man upstairs, he's God Almighty. 
I have a friend who pastors a, a church, and there's this hippie guy that goes to a church. He's kind of a hippie 60s reject, you know. And he calls my friend Preacher Man. He never refers to him as his name or anything. He's Preacher Man. And when he prays, he prays this way. He begins his prayer. He says, hey, Big Daddy-O, this is Charlie. And I, I get it, you know, from where he was and his context, you know, I don't think he's being disrespectful in that. I really don't. But I think, I think we need to have a healthy sense of who God is. And Peter got that as he's looking at these two sinking boats that were full of fish. Peter figured it out. It wasn't just anybody standing in the boat with him. But this is God Almighty. And now finally, finally, here we are. Here we are, boys. Verse 9. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Jesus says that all the time. In fact, he says that 365 times in the Bible. The Bible says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. One for each day. Sorry, yesterday you could have been afraid, but, but no, not today. 365 times, don't be afraid. And, and usually when Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's usually giving some big thing that under normal circumstances, you should be afraid. <laughs> you know, Peter, I've got a new gig for you. Don't be afraid. I've got a new gig for you. Don't be afraid. From now on, he said, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. From now on, you'll fish for people. I'm not sure what Peter's dreams were before he met Jesus. Maybe it was just to keep on fishing the Sea of Galilee. Or maybe it was to get a string of fishing boats. Or maybe it was to start a fish company. You know, Simon's Sensational Seafood Company in Galilee. But whatever it was, the invitation from Jesus to start fishing for people was an offer he couldn't refuse. And the Bible says he left everything and followed him. Here's the deal. Jesus may not ask you to to leave everything. Maybe he will. But I think he will call us. Peter was the first, but he certainly wasn't the last to, to fish for people. Will you fish for people? In the state of Michigan, if you're gonna go fish for fish, you have to have a fishing license. If you're a resident of the state of Michigan, that fishing license costs you $26. If you're a non-resident of Michigan, that fishing license costs you $76. Pays to be from Michigan. If you're a senior citizen, it costs you $11. It pays to get old. If you're a teenager, under 17, you don't have to have a license. It pays to be a kid. And if you don't buy a license and go out fishing anyway and and the DNR officer catches you, you can have a fine of between $50 and $500 or 90 days in jail. So I'm just asking you, if you're going to be a fisher, a fisher for people, you say, Pastor, I don't want to go to jail. Got that covered. Today's your lucky day. It won't cost you a dime. I, they, the ushers have just been passing out fishing license, Central Church fishing license. And this is a wonderful thing. Really, it has all the details. Where's my fishing license? It has all the details on the front, Central Church fishing license, fisher of people, all the necessary certifications, Bible verses. But the real thing about this is on the back. The back is the people you're going to pray for, the people you're going to fish for in the next six weeks before we get to Easter. And what you're supposed to do with this is, is write down their name that you're going to pray. Now, don't put down Aunt Susie's gout. If Aunt Susie has, is a Christian, then praise the Lord. You can pray for her gout, but don't put her name on here. This isn't for gout. This isn't for sniffles. This isn't even for cancer. This is for people that don't know Jesus. That you're going to commit to praying for. 
every single day. Pray, 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 every single day, because this is how it works. You pray, pray, pray. Lord, you gotta, you gotta reach that person. You gotta reach that. Maybe you don't even know their name. The checkout lady at Kroger. Jesus knows her name. It's okay. You can put the checkout lady at Kroger, and Jesus will know it. Pastor, I don't have enough, I don't know enough non-Christians to fill up all these blanks. Well, then get out in the world and meet some. And write their name down. And pray for them. Every single day. Every single day. Praying, praying. Why? Because you're going to be a fisherman for people. You got the license. And this is how it works. You pray, pray, pray. Jesus opens the door. People catch big fish these days. They take a selfie. And they take a picture of it. And they put it on Facebook. And it's a wonderful day. Listen. You tell someone about Jesus. You reel them in. You pray, pray, pray. Jesus opens the door. You tell them what Jesus has done for you. They say, yeah, I want that too. You reel them in. That'll be the greatest day of your life because you reeled in a big one for Jesus. Lord, help us to be fishers of men and women. Help us to be fishers of people, the folks we see. In Jesus' name, amen.